Hello Africa, this is another episode on the Clyde podcast as we take you through the African educational history, tracing it back from where it all started up until the to present to raise awareness for the importance of educational development in Africa. Hi, Ojain Kai and Ulua will be your hosts on today's spot on today's episode here with me is mr daniels Apan. how are you doing mr daniels i am very well and i'm better than i used to be thank you so much for having me today on today's podcast i'm glad to be here thank you so um, mr daniel can you tell africans about you Sure. Uh, my name is Daniels Akan, and um, <clears throat> I am a development practitioner. I am a researcher, and I am an industrial designer. Uh, I work as the executive director for Africa Center for Education Development, where we work to accelerate education and development in Africa through research, practice, and policy. We have a series of projects and programs which spans through uh, about over eight African countries. Uh, we have reached out and impacted. We have beneficiaries um, in the tune of over 120,000 across this country. Uh, besides that, uh, I also work um, in the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill in the United States. Uh, in the Global Social Development Initiative, which is a research arm of the university where I help to, where I support research in developing countries. So we have a couple of research, a couple of projects running in several developing countries. So I support um, this research going on uh, in this country. And most of those research focuses around employment, um, for young people, basically around development of young people in this uh, country. Um, the other project also spans across uh, around education, health, and other. So, yeah, in brief, this is me. Uh, I am also an internationally recognized development practitioner. I've had series and several uh, local, national, and international awards. Um, and the latest of my awards was um, in uh, two months ago, where I was listed as one of the um, black people in the world that is changing, um, that is making the world a better place. Uh, it was um, this happened uh, in February during the celebration of the Black History, um, the Black History is a normal festival where black people around the world are celebrating uh, the emancipation of black people from slavery and other things and how black people fought their ways to stardom and meaningfulness so um, these awards recognizes people who are very instrumental in emancipating other black people and providing them with opportunities and providing them with um, um, meaningful life opportunities and 
uh, those who have uh, distinguished themselves in several areas of their field or endeavor. So that will be the latest of uh, the awards, international awards that I have received. In addition to uh, being named as uh, a honorary citizen in the United States by the mayor of Boone. So it's just a few of many awards um, that I have had internationally following my contribution to national, local and international development and education. Thank you, sir. Wow, that's it's an opportunity to have you on today's podcast. Uh, so we'll be talking about how African culture has evolved and its influence on education from an high view of the Nigeria. So in context, uh, in the 14th century, African cultural values were evident in our, in our crafts, societal activities, governance, and education. Education was, then by, was done by a collaborative effort of the community residents where children got to be exposed to different cultural stories and values. Then colonization came in. This is how formal education was introduced. Our minds were open to opportunities and the need for development. But that was that wasn't the entire intention of education that came with colonization. While in colonization, the education modeled our standard based upon what our colonial master dictates to suit their own mission, which time eventually revealed as take from one country to enrich another. Tracing it back to our recent century, our cultural values and history have been communicated effectively in the current education curriculum. We have displayed a tendency to neglect our roots, the very core that makes us Africans. We now define the bulk of our standards and uniqueness based on the dictates of our colonial masters culture, the Western culture. This is what I will call a modern colonization. An average African is liable to believe that their child must travel out of their home country before they can be successful. I know that culture comprises deep um, spiritual beliefs but this is not the focus. I am emphasizing on the way and what in fact perceive ourselves and what in fact we perceive ourselves to be. So these are my questions. How then can culture help to improve literacy in Africa considering the differences in tribal culture? Okay, thank you so much for that question. Uh, in contrast to what we are talking about, I would like to start because looking at the context that you have just provided, you talked about um, you talked about education, and then you ran us through historically how education emancip- um, how education you know came about and how um, it's influencing whether positive or negative, uh, and eroding our African culture. So I'm going to start with saying this categorically, 
and then I will begin from there to give some points. First of all, education as we know it in the Western um, Western definition of education as we know it was not meant for Africans. So the people who whoever created education or the the the, the creation of education was not meant for Africans. So looking at that from that perspective, where we take it historically, we will see that sometime back, Africans were living their lives. Europeans were living their lives. The West were living their lives. Africans were living their lives. And everybody was living their lives and everything was fine for everybody. We had our own education, our own means of education. We had our means of communication. We had the way we lived our lives. You know, we did our things as African. We had our culture. We had our values. We had our systems. We had our own level of development. We had everything in a way in our own set. We were living our lives until one day the West felt like these people are too backward. And then they came into Africa and picked a couple of people and took them to Europe and took them to the West. And that was the origin of slavery. And when those group of people who were enslaved began to, you know, they went there and they started um, uh, being um, maltreated and all of that during slavery. And at the time, the black people who were enslaved began to feel like, no, we don't deserve this inhuman kind of lifestyle. And the slave owners developed, because these were the bourgeoisies, and these were the enlightened people in their own terminologies. They thought they were more enlightened than the African, than the slaves. So they thought they wanted to create a system of education, which we know as education today. So they created education. Education they created was not for those slaves. They created education for their children. For example, the rich people, I will call them rich people for context reason. The rich people, the wealthy people, the elites created education, the slave owners created education for their own children so that they can teach their, their children how to manage, how their children can continue in their business. They wanted their children to learn arithmetic. They wanted their children to learn communication. They wanted their children to learn science. They wanted their children to learn education, to be educated. Because if their children are educated, those children of theirs are going to continue, you know, they are going to transfer their business over to their children and their children can continue to manage the slave, the slave business. So in contrast, in contrast, they created education for their own children. And the component of education was what their children, the children of the slave owners needed. Now, the children of the slave owners needed to know how to communicate arithmetic, all of those basic things. They needed that. In the other hand, those slave children, the slave from Africans and every other part of the world that came in or every other part that came in. Now, as a slave, a 50-year-old man 
who is a slave his child is also a slave by design his wife is a slave by design so every other person in his lineage by design are slaves in the other hand a, a slave owner 50 year old slave owner his wife is called master or boss or madam he is child even if the child is 5 year old is called master so you see in contrast that a 50 year old slave calls a 5 year old boy master by virtue of that what that means is that that 5 year old boy has a concept somewhere in his mind he knows that he is master he knows that he is a boss he knows that he is somebody important he has built self esteem he don't need to go to school to get self esteem he already has it because he has seen his father's mate calling him master so from childhood that young boy already has very good self esteem he has what you call self esteem self identity he has a good self image he has a good self worth so he can look at a 50 year old man and tell him come here go there lift this thing kneel down stand up jump up sit down do this and do that and he watches a 50 year old man move at his command that boy or that girl has built good self esteem he has everything he needs the only thing he doesn't have is arithmetic science communication and other skills and that is why education was created so that what they don't have can be imputed into to teach them so they can go ahead to continue so after some time those left owner that 50 year old man has become 70 years now and he felt like my children deserve education they need to be educated and they started agitating and then they created some group and then the people started agitating and the slave felt they wanted education too and then the the slave masters felt okay you want education take it now th- that was the beginning of how black people slaves started getting western education But the point here is the white people or the slave owners got what they needed because they didn't need self esteem. In other words, those black people, those slaves got education. They got they learned arithmetic, they learned communication, they learned science, they learned geography, they learned all these things but they are still stupid. They lack self esteem. They don't have self esteem. They don't even know where they're from. They don't even have what you call self identity. They don't have self worth. They can look at themselves and feel, even though they have a PhD, they have a master's, they have a bachelor of science degree in geography, in physics, in chemistry, or whatever they have it. They are still stupid. They don't still know their real world. They don't know their world because they never were taught. or they never came to the real realization of their full worth and this is the problem that i see in education and how it impacts or influences africans we have lost identity we have lost our values we have lost our cultural heritage before the uh, 
before the introduction of Western education, Africans had values, African had culture. Our kind of education system was one that community come together to train a child. When a child goes wrong, I don't need permission from the mother of the child to correct the child. I go ahead. Every child was trained by not just the parent alone, but by the community. It was the community effort, understanding the fact that when that child goes bad, the community feels the impact, negative impact from that child. And when the community, when the child becomes a good child and becomes um, does some good thing, the ripple effect also spring true in the community. So the community had that basic understanding, and then the community comes together to train the child to ensure that that child grows to become a great, good child. But we are beginning to lose that gradually in terms of westernizing because of westernization and every other thing. Now, Africans have values in terms of respect. You don't talk to your elder anyhow. That's an African culture. That's something that is unique to Africa. So you have to, of necessity, begin to implement or look critically into some of those critical values that are enshrined in the African culture. There are basic things that are embedded in the African culture that we are beginning to lose at the, at, at the time as things progresses. So in other words, and to put it in a more categorical term, I would say that um, we have lost uh, we have lost our values. And one of the things that we can do um, to regain that or to improve literacy is for us to begin to teach specifically our African history, begin to look, look into where we're we coming from, what are the basic things that are happening around us, and why are we the way we are, and what can we do to improve that. Young people need to know their origin, they need to know their history, they need to know where they are coming from, they need to be uh, taught on their values. They need to know the African values, the African culture. These things need to be embedded into them as they continue to grow. And I think if we get that straight, that will be the beginning of a robust emancipation of the African people. I don't know if that answers your question, but this is what I would have to say for now. Yes, it does, actually. Uh, from the aspect that I said, Africa have lost its values because looking at it from the current century that we have now, everybody seems to, major Africans, I'm talking from a Nigerian perspective now, we we tend to like measure our standards based on the European people, based on the Western developed countries. And we tend not to embrace that, that thing that makes us different and makes us unique. But you pointing out the fact that we need to know our history, that really um, makes me happy because it's something we all need to go back into to know how we get to evolve over time so that we will not repeat the same old mistakes that we have. So my, my second question is, why is it that schools are not teaching using our native language like why is it what why is it that schools are not teaching using our native language native african language uh, 
Well, to look at that, I would love to see, <clears throat> I would love to be taught in my, I am from a Kwaibom state, and specifically in a Kwaibom, I know there are quite a couple of languages in a Kwaibom. For example, I am from Ibibio, a tribe in, in a Kwaibom called Ibibio. I know there are Anang, there is a couple of other tribes in a Kwaibom. I would love to see myself go to class and they are telling me about the idioma one plus one you know they keep speaking my language to me and teaching me in my own dialect that that would make a lot of sense right but also if we need to be honest we can now look at the multi multi tribes that we have in Nigeria i just give you an example of a quiet, but we have a couple of you can see so that will mean that if i am from ibibio I have to school in an Ibibio school. So I can't go to an Anang school because probably I may not be able to understand an Anang language. And if I leave Akwaibom, for example, and go to Potakot, Potakot has different languages. So I can't school in Potakot because I don't speak Potakot language. So I have to definitely either look for a school that speaks Ibibio or I have to go back to Akwaibom. And even in the Akwaibom, I have to school in a school that speaks Ibibio. I was born and bred in Kaduna State, even though I am originally from Akwaibom. So if I am in Kaduna, I will have to go and look for a school that speaks Ibibio because I am from Akwaibom. And I don't know how many of that schools we would be able to have in Kaduna. And if I don't do that, that means my parents will have to transport me back to Akwaibom and in Akwaibom look for somewhere that speaks Ibibio. So if we have to teach ourselves using our local languages, the complication, you can think about having, developing, we have about 560 local languages. You can think about having over 560 languages, people teaching in different 560 languages. The confusion alone that will be resulting from this will be too complicated for the federal government to handle. So maybe we might end up needing the United Nations to come and intervene in helping us solve the complication from teaching with our local language in that manner. However, this would have been very easy if we had a centralized language in Nigeria. For example, if we had language like Hausa and people in Akwaibom speaks Hausa, people in, in Lagos speaks Hausa, people in Potakot speaks Hausa, people in Zamfara speaks Hausa. If we had a unified language, it would have been very easy for us to have, uh, have things done in that language. Another way to look at it is in countries like um, Rwanda. Rwanda speaks, almost all Rwandese will be able to speak Swahili, or maybe there's a uh, Rwandan, they may be able to speak a central language. Maybe in East Africa, for example, most of them speaks, most of them can speak Swahili. Swahili is a very general language in those parts. Um, uh, West, uh, East Africa and some part of West, uh, Southern Africa, they speak Swahili. Assume that we all speak Swahili or African in Nigeria, 
or in Africa, if we all had a unified language, even though we had diversified language, but we all have a unified language that unifies all of us. It will make a lot of sense for us to teach in that language. But the reason why this is going to be difficult is because we don't have a unified language. We don't. In Ghana, they don't have, um, I don't know if they are able to, if every Ghanaian can speak a unified language or understand a unified language, but I know they have different ethics. I don't know if all of them can speak one specific language. And if that happens, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. But in Nigeria, you and I know that is not, um, that is not happening here because we have different language. Officially, we have three major languages, and they call it major, but we have other minors, and the minors are much more than the majors. So this is the beginning, and this is the major constraint to having us speak or teach in our schools. You, this need for us to have uh, a an official language, in this case, English language is the adopted official language that we can use to, to teach for unification purpose and for quality control. Thank you, sir. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that answers is good. This, I got to come up with this question as a result of the conversation I was having with a few of my friends that were like um, why is it that we cannot teach using our own native language and you answer it all so I guess I think they will all get to understand the main reason behind teaching with English language because at times people perceive English is more like a cold um a language that will get to adopt as a result of colonization but based on what you've said now it has really answered the question that's do justice to the question so my next question is why why is it that parents are not entirely involved in their child's growth in terms of understanding morals and values like looking at it from how African tends to involve in through our cultural practices but recently in our recent age why is it that parents are not entirely involved in their children's in their child's growth in terms of understanding moral morals and values okay all right I think there are a few reasons why I in my opinion because I'm going to put this in my opinion I think there are a few reasons in my opinion why this is happening for several reasons. Number one, um, most parents, in my opinion, are very invested in providing logistics, invested in providing um, providing a better life, in quotes, quote-unquote, for their children. So for that reason, they engage in work and um they invest their time working invest their time doing a couple of things and because they have limited time 24 hours so they do not have sufficient time to put in 
the work in their offices and also come back home and invest another time in their children or on their children and so for that reason you know they rather put it, get the money paid to the school and allow the school to mold the child in the way that the school deems fit to do um i think this had not previously been the culture or the value system or the style in africa um africans were people basically were people who value uh, a swift a change or a transfer of cultural heritage mostly this were done through communication through storytelling through songs and through a lot of things there used to be a very strong binding or bonding between african parents between um yeah african parents community members and children as children grow i remember that there were times when we could in our child in my own childhood i remember when there were times when we would have our story time where we would go to bed before we go to bed we would all sit in the family house and you know our parents would tell us different kinds of stories there were times when we used to do moonlight uh, during the moonlight we would uh, get out and you know sit in in the moon we'll sit in the moon and we'll be listening to we'll be listening to different stories from um from different uh, people talking to us about certain things and you know it, it was it was a binding or bonding kind of thing so we we usually have those kind of moments but now I don't see that happening again where you see parents to children having those kind of we don't even have time parents don't even have time they come back from work they do a 9 to 5 to 9 or 9 to 5 kind of job and by the time they get home in some places like Lagos they even get home they get stopped on traffic and before they get home is already late in the night and by the time they are getting home all they want to do at that time because they are human is that they want to eat rest and sleep and then the next morning the routine continues so you see that this becomes over time it becomes a routine for a for a an average nigerian or african person and in so doing the growth development and uh, value of teaching of that child is left to the peers the child's peers is left to the school and is left to social media very strong point so we begin in that instance to lose track of what we would call um parental training you know because family supposed to be well i'm saying supposed because in practice it's not what it is but on theory that it was a team so family is supposed to be the first socialization of every child but in the instances and in the current reality where we have now we're beginning to see that even though this is supposed to be the first socialization point we're beginning to lose track of it family are losing influence over their kids and this is why you see 
if you get it wrong in the family, the whole nuisance around our community starts from the family. If the family system gets it right, the level of nuisance in the community will reduce. So we don't have a good family values. We don't follow true family values. Our parents, with due respect, most of our parents have failed in sustaining values, in transferring values. And we see this happening in our community. Everybody doing wrong thing. Every nuisance in the street, in our community, is coming from a family. So if that family had imbibed value and beliefs, cultural, you know, those cultural values, those strong cultural values in their children as they grow, they go out to represent not just the family, they go out to represent the community, they go out to represent the country. So they would have had all of these things in them, but they don't. And that's why we see people can leave their own house and go and kill another person, you know, can use another person for rituals, can, you know, go to fight or go to do, go and steal or go to do some. You look into, um, in the political scene, you see the same thing happening. Our politicians are just showing us how they were raised in their families. You steal public money. It means that your family have, they didn't teach you that stealing is bad. So your parent, as a politician, if you're listening, your parent did not teach you that embezzling people's fund is wrong. So you grew up in that manner and then, you know, it goes on and on and on. So what I'm trying to say is that family value is very important. But unfortunately, most families do not have the time to imbibe those values in their children. And this is, in my opinion, the genesis of the problem we have in Nigeria, in Africa, and anywhere in the world. Thank you, sir. Okay. Uh, how then can we say, okay, we want to solve or fill in that gap? That's a very interesting question. How do we fill in that gap? To fill in that gap, in my opinion, I think, number one, um there is there is need for parents themselves to recognize how important their job is as a parent the first job of every parent is to be a parent what i mean is your first job or your responsibility as a father a mother a parent is to parent that child that you have that is your first job any other job you have a secondary so your first job is to ensure that you train up a child as he or she should go because when that child grows up he or she will not depart from those training that they have been invited uh, or given now when you fail in that responsibility as a parent when you fail in that any other thing you do amounts to failure. So the first thing is for parents to recognize how important, how valuable their role, their responsibility as a parent are. So when you know that, you know that this is a lifetime job for you as long as you're alive. This is your job. This is your role. This is your responsibility. And that is something you need to take very critical and very serious. 
is for I've just mentioned for people who are married, people who have kids, and people who have um, children. For singles, you're not married. You have a girlfriend, you have a boyfriend, you're not married. You need to begin to understand that when you get married, this will be your role. This will be your responsibility. First of all, how responsible are you as a single guy or a single girl? Because you cannot give what you don't have. If you're not responsible, if you don't even have value, core value, you don't have it. How do you expect to transfer what you don't have to your children? You swing mood at any, any time that you have. And you feel like, how do you control or how do you teach your children to be able to have self-control? You do things you're not supposed to do. How do you imbibe culture, values into your own children? So it is critical for young people to know that what they have is what they are going to transfer. And children learn very fast. So children learn from what they see more than what they hear. So you can tell a child, don't steal. But the, the moment you, as a parent, you go to the office and you bring things that are not yours, you bring things from the office, that child sees and that child learns from you. So that child, even though you're telling that child don't steal, the likelihood of that child stealing is very high because that child will learn from what they see from what, than from what they hear. So that is another level. The third level is for young people to invest in their future now. Because trust me, if you don't invest in your future now that you're young, you have ample time. You don't have a child, you don't have a wife, you don't have a husband, you have 24 hours to yourself. By the time you get married, you have to share your 24 hours with your wife. When you have a child, you share your 24 hours with your child, if you have one child. And if you have two child, you are sharing your 24 hours with your two children and your wife. That's three people. So the more children or the more people in your life, the less time you have. So now that you're young, this is the best time for you to maximize your time. If you don't maximize your time now to invest in the future, creating sustainable income, creating multiple streams of income, creating wealth for the future, it means that by the time you have children, because your children will eat, irrespective of Nigerian economy, they are going to eat. They will be fed, clothed, and sheltered. So if you don't do what you need to do now, by the time you have children, you will be doing more work because you will try, you'll be going to the office, coming back, and possibly be doing multiple jobs because you need to put food on the table, you need to have a house, a shelter over your family, and you need to clothe them. So in so doing, you will be putting more effort on job, and then you'll be neglecting your primary responsibility of training your children. And this is what we're seeing with our our families, I mean, in our communities, you see people doing, they work, 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 work for their children. They have no time for their children because when they were much younger, they did not plan, you know, the strategy. There was no strategy that was going to help them to become more um, sustainable in the future. So 
if we look at all of this, you see that, um, and if you look at how our young people are spending their time now, you know that in the future, this is going to happen. We are just seeing a replica of the same thing. It's just playing out. It's going to happen in the future because you're not planning for the future. Young people are not planning for the future. So it means that when they have children, they will not have time for their children because you can't eat your cake and still have it. So the best thing or the solution is for the young people now to begin to look at how do I sustain the future and plan for it. And another thing I think which might be very important I don't know how sustainable that will be, but I think that there is need for parents to have children they can cater for. You don't have money and you are having sex, unprotected sex, and then you're just breeding children to the world to come and suffer. What's wrong with buying condom? You don't know how to use condom or contraceptives. It's, it's wrong for you to have children you cannot care for it is very wrong so people should have children they have financial capacity to care for if you don't have capacity to care for children it is wrong to bring a child to the world to suffer it is wrong it's very wrong it's very very wrong it's very wrong so people should have children that they can care for they should have the number of children they have the resources to care for and when we do that we will see things getting a bit um you know getting better and i don't know how possible it would be for the government to be able to correct that like in china china has a one child policy and for over a long period of time in China, every family was liable to have just one child. You can have two children, except for conditional reasons where you have to pay a fine to have two children. And that worked for China for a couple of time until uh, when they, they had to reverse the policy for also another political, well, maybe not political, but of course for some obvious social of course, of your social, political, and economic reason, they had to reverse the policy. But for a very long period of time in China, every family was entitled to one child. And looking at the economy of China today, China is one of the best economy in the whole world. And looking at how they have advanced, looking at how things have you know, evolved in China, you begin to wonder to say, how can governments in Nigeria begin to think about you know, um, a policy that can help to improve our family living or our family lives? And I think that's a critical thing to begin to look into. The government needs to look into certain things with respect to family living or family life. However, uh, also taking into consideration uh, religious um, perspective, because Nigeria is a relig- very, very religious uh, country, and we, we weigh and measure everything in the light of religion. So I think that's something that we need to really look into. And our religious leaders also play a very crucial and important role in educating the people and not indoctrinating them on certain values and principles. Thank you, sir. Okay. Yes, that you said a lot. <laughs> that really answered it. Because uh, even behind the screen, I was at some point I was laughing, like I was smiling. It's, you really answered a lot of questions. Yes, and it's 
depends from not just couples alone we young people also have our own impact and influence to these things so um, my next question is why is there no subject devoted to focus entirely on african history in primary and secondary schools uh, i wish i have an answer to that question why that is not happening but the best way i can put it to say that maybe we are not yet as a nation we haven't yet understood the relevance of having or understanding our history. Uh, when I was growing up, I know we used to have something we call social studies. I'm not sure if we still have social studies today, uh, but that course was supposed to help us understand, you know, our society and specifically maybe some few things about our history, which was very good. Now, in relation to what I mentioned earlier about how Africans have lost identity, how most of us do not have a very good self-esteem, we feel like um, we are worthless, we feel like um, we are not as intelligent as we should be, we feel um, we, we don't have a very good self-image of ourselves and that's why you see most of us, we want to bleach from being black, we feel like being black is not beautiful, we want to we want our, we want a lighter tone of skin color, you know we, we want a lot of things, so I feel like um, an understanding of our heritage, our culture, an understanding of our history, very critical, will be very relevant and important in helping us embrace, appreciate who we are as an individual and also appreciate who we are as Africans. So um, if we are able to get that done early on, in school, I think it might make a lot of sense for uh, young people growing up to begin to know that this happened in 1963, 1980, this happened, you know, we were mesmerized and this and that, you know, growing up and then to begin to see how resilient we have been over time and how, you know, strong we are as an individual in spite of everything we've gone through, the hurdles, the ups and the downs, we are still surviving. And, you know, that has a way of telling you to say, I am a survivor, I am a strong person, I can make it, I have done it before, my my people, my, my people in my lineage have done it before and we can still do it again. And you know, bringing up also people who have risen from nothing to something and those kind of models, uh, helping to model those kind of people to us, might go a long way in helping to build those kind of uh, values for us. So I think that um, uh, having that in our schools would be very important. But this is something for the Ministry of Education to really look into and also debate about and also talk about the relevance and the importance of having that. And uh, I wouldn't know why that is off if it's not in our curriculum, but I think it's something that is very crucial. For me, in my opinion, I think it is sacrosanct if you ask me to have that in our curriculum. Thank you, sir. Okay, yes. We really, um, for me, I, I would say that um, each African child while growing up needs to have the knowledge and understanding of how Africans evolved right from the whole when even before colonization 
because so that one tends to repeat the, the same old mistakes over and over again. Yes, so I, I think is what the Ministry of Education need to consider and check. My my last question is is uh, how does culture influence education? How does culture influence education? Wow, that's an interesting question. Uh, I would say that um, we interpret things based on our belief and culture, uh, no, based on our belief and our values. So our beliefs and our values, cultural values and cultural beliefs and everything has impact in our education uh, in terms of how we see things, in terms of how we understand things, in terms of how we accept things. So all of these things has impact. Like I mentioned in my previous um, discussion, I talked about how um, we have lost values that I talked about how our education uh, is void or does not have embedded in it our culture. So there are no traces of our cultures in our education. We have few traces of our belief system, our way of life, our culture, African culture, tradition and culture embedded in our own kind of education. So in retrospect, culture affects education and education affects culture. Uh, so they are intertwined in one way or the other. So one of the ways that I think that culture affects our education is in the areas of um, our beliefs, in, in the area of our values. So. We, are going, we interpret things based on those value systems that we have already created for ourselves. And for that reason, I think that has a way uh, that it has to impact on our education system. I don't know if that answers your question or you want to rephrase it. I would like you to rephrase that. Okay. Great uh, example to give. Okay. When it comes to our culture, our culture basically is the way we live our lives. Right? So, yeah. the way we live our lives, how does it impact on our education? I'll put it this way, in the simplest form. The way we live our lives is our culture. Now, this way we live our life are basically transferred. They are mostly, maybe not necessarily things that they are taught to us, but they are things we see with our eyes. There are things that the society has normalized. 
there are things that have become popular. There are things that have become common. There are things that have become almost acceptable by a lot of people. Now, irrespective of the fact that whether those things are good or bad, it doesn't matter whether they are good or bad. As long as the majority in the community, in the society, as long as this had become like a norm, as long as it has become popular, as long as it has become almost acceptable or acceptable, it becomes a culture, right? Just to establish facts. Yes. So in the way things are for young people, now it's becoming a culture right now for young people to want to, you know, get rich very quick. Do you understand that? Now, this is not yes. an African traditional culture, but somehow, somehow, young people have accepted this as a culture. Nobody teaches you get quick fast, but you see it in the community that in the society, almost everybody wants to get, young people want to get rich quick fast. And then they begin to do certain kind of things that are detrimental for the future. Now, this is, is becoming a culture gradually for young people in Nigeria. Now, how does this kind of negative culture, there are positive cultures, there are positive values, you understand? So this kind of thing, how does it impact on our education? For example, you hear young people say school is calm. Now, school, why would a young person say school is calm? Because they've seen politician who does not have education go to become a politician and in the next minute, the guy had made lots of money. The guy has embezzled money. And then the guy, and they feel school is calm. So they have to like do other things. So you see a politician making millions of naira, billions of naira, embezzling money. And you that have a PhD, you have a graduate, you have a master's degree, you're paid 100,000 naira. So, this is not naturally, this is not supposed to be a culture, but it has gradually become a culture. I mean, it's something, it's becoming our way of life. So how does this impact education? You see that young people go to school and they are not serious with school because I'll go to school and graduate and get paid 100,000 when somebody who doesn't go to school becomes a politician and embezzles millions. So these are some of the ways that all of these things impact on our education although negatively there are also positive ways that other cultures or values impact on our education as well i don't know if this was able to explain my point properly yes it does actually so this is the last and the, but not the least part of the podcast so thank you very much mr daniels Arpan, who also like to be around for our upcoming event so thank you very much it's it's uh it was an insightful moment it is an insightful moment to have you on this podcast and you said quite a lot of things that if i start to start saying everything i've jotted down in my notes it's it's a lot so thank you very much for every point and for explaining it um for, and for explaining it well and 
for explaining well thank you very much and keep up the good work that you are doing i i went through your your organization's website and i saw that you guys have you have been able to impact a whole number of children across especially in nigeria basically so thank you for that and we need more more of you around so keep on doing what you are doing and i would personally love to connect more and know more about you sir thank you very much it's my pleasure thank you so much for having me on this program i really appreciate the time um thank you so much and keep up the work that you're doing yeah thank you sir thank you and have a great time bye bye